Welcome to the Target Oxbridge podcast, the podcast where we demystify the universities of Oxford and Cambridge and share tips on how to improve your chances of getting into Oxbridge. My name is Naomi Kalman and I'm the founder of Target Oxbridge. Target Oxbridge is a programme that has been running since 2012 to help Black, African and Caribbean students to gain places at Oxford and Cambridge. We've helped over 280 students to gain places so far, and so we've gathered quite a bit of experience over the years. The aim of this podcast is to share the information and top tips that we've gathered with students, parents and teachers, as well as sharing the stories of people who have studied there. For this next series, we'll be sharing our top tips on how to get in for some of the most popular Oxbridge courses. Next in our series of episodes on how to get in for popular subjects at Oxford and Cambridge, I'm speaking to Taye Lawal about engineering and how to get in for engineering. She is studying engineering at St Anne's College, Oxford, and is here to share with us her top tips for making a really strong application. What I like to start with is just how you got into engineering. How did you figure out that it was a subject that you liked and that you might want to study at university? So I've always been really interested in maths and physics um, all the way through the education system. And I think just about GCSEs, I kind of looked up what I was actually interested in within those subjects. And I realised I really liked the application to the real world um, and to how it makes things work around us and how those can help people and function every say, day life so I think my teacher was like engineering sounds like something that could be good to you and then from there I kind of looked more into it learned a bit more about how things worked and developed an interest from there. Now engineering's a really popular subject and I like it when students are passionate about something but I'm also really keen that they pick a subject that's the right fit for them And because engineering can be a subject that parents are sometimes quite keen on because it's vocational, it's traditional, it's something everyone's familiar with, sometimes students turn up to Target Oxbridge and say, I want to be an engineer. And actually, they probably want to do chemistry or they want to do physics or they want to do something else to do with science, but not engineering. How did you make sure that it was the right subject for you as opposed to any of the other sciences? Yeah, so that's a good question. And especially for me, who applied to all general courses, I really kind of had to decide if engineering was what I wanted to do because I had so many interests and so many disciplines of engineering. Um, So I had to make sure that this was a subject. The main ways I did that is I'm not the best at reading books. So I used a lot of YouTube videos, online lectures, things more interactive. Um, I was lucky to have an engineering club at school where we designed things and made things. So I started to go along to those sessions and having some hands-on experience and seeing if there's something I don't mind spending my time after school doing. Um, And joined a few projects that were going on in school as well. Um, Taster days, a few seminars. You'd find around the application period and over summer, um, quite a few universities offer taster days or seminars or programmes offer things that give you a little insight on what you might be learning and how it might apply to the real world. So I just got involved in as many practical things as I could um, just to see if I was enjoying it. And yeah, that's pretty much how I prepared. 
yeah and often with the subject like this doing where you can do things is really helpful at the moment the pandemic's meant that the activities that happen in person aren't happening quite as much but things have moved online and you mentioned that you found lectures and online activities really helpful as well can you remember any that you'd maybe recommend for people who are struggling at the moment because everything's online I can't remember the specific topics, but I know that a lot of the American universities have been recording their lectures for a while. So it was a few of those that I watched. I think it was Stanford and MIT who have hour-long lectures, but sometimes on really interesting topics. Um, but apart from that, I think it was short, like five, 10-minute YouTube videos on something that I was interested in. That's also quite useful. Brilliant. That's, that's really good to know that you can get that. And I, I think Imperial put things online too. And I know that Oxford and Cambridge have sometimes their own YouTube channels also for different things. I think YouTube's got, got a, good, a good amount of content if you're struggling at the moment yeah. to find things, which is really good. Something I wanted to pick up on is the fact that you mentioned that, you know, the course at Oxford is a general engineering course. The course at Cambridge is also a general engineering course. And for anyone who's quite new to this, what's the difference between the general courses that Oxford and Cambridge offer and the more specific courses at other universities? And why did you decide that a general course was right for you? So at Oxford and Cambridge, um, you essentially learn for at least the first two years a little bit of all types of engineering. So that could be from mechanical engineering to some heat flow to electrical to mechanical. I said that before. <laughs> but you essentially learn a little bit of all types of engineering. You don't weight it heavily on anything. Um, a few other universities also do that, but maybe for the first year. But the difference is if you apply to a specific course, then after that first year, your modules are pretty much set in stone geared towards that type of engineering. So for the rest of your years, you'll be learning things about mechanical engineering or related to mechanical engineering. Whereas at Oxford and Cambridge, there's never really any pressure to go down one stream. Um, I've stuck as a general engineer. So all of my modules are from random parts of engineering. And if you wanted to specialize, you could. I could have picked all my modules in the mechanical field, but there's never a pressure or requirement to do that. You can spend all four years learning about all types of engineering if you wanted to, which is the kind of course that I wanted, which is why I applied. Good. And I think for anyone listening and thinking about their options, that's something to think about and to do some research into. Because if you know that all you really want to do is civil engineering, an Oxbridge course might not be the right course for you. But if you're interested in finding out lots of different bits and pieces about all the different types of engineering, then it might be the perfect fit. So it's all about research and everybody is different. So I wanted to talk a bit about entry requirements and what you studied at sixth form, because that's often something that people don't fully understand in terms of how to make sure they're in the best position to make a competitive application. What A-levels did you study or did you do the IB? I did A-levels. And I studied maths, further maths and physics. I had an AS in economics and I had a few extra math modules um, along the way as well. 
that's good to hear because further maths is one of my favorite topics if anyone listened to any other episodes they'll have heard me go on about it over and over because I think it is often a really helpful foundation for courses like engineering it's not required by either Oxford or Cambridge but it is recommended and I often think that if it's recommended I'd take that as quite a strong recommendation and I think it can help both with preparing for the entrance test, but also for making it a bit easier to adjust to university life. Did you find that further maths helped you in any way when you were making that adjustment? Yes, further maths was quite useful. I think the first few weeks and first problem sets were things that we might have touched on already in A-level maths and further maths. And that kind of allowed for a smoother transition because they were still challenging but not as challenging as it would have been if I had to learn completely new content straight from the start as some people might have had to if they didn't study those subjects at A-level so it definitely helped with the transition. And in terms of the entry requirements so the grades that you had to get what sort of grade offer did you get? So the offer for engineering in Oxford was two A stars and an A. And it's the same for Cambridge at the moment as well. So you are needing to be working towards pretty top grades for your predictions and for your A-levels. Yeah. Great. Okay. so if we come on to thinking about preparing, so we'll go through the process in the order that it happens. So the first thing people do is submit a personal statement. And that involves needing to be able to write about why you want to study the subject, preferably with a focus on the academic reasons that you have for wanting to you know, study engineering in this case. How did you go about researching and writing your personal statement? So all the things that I mentioned earlier, the YouTube videos, the after school club, I did a long engineering project after school as, as well, um, all kind of went in as the basis of what I wrote about for my personal statement. Um, so I noted what parts of those I found really interesting and wrote about them a little bit in my personal statement. But I also thought about things that I found interesting in the A-level syllabus or things that I found interesting in my everyday life. I've had some sort of engineering thoughts about and also wrote about those in the personal statement as well. Great, and sometimes when students are setting out to think about a statement, they can't really visualize or fully understand what sort of examples are the right sort of examples or you know pitched at the right level I'm not sure if you can remember because it's been a little bit of time but can you remember any of the specific examples that you spoke about in your statement and how you researched those particular examples yes so um I was given a read before this to remember what I wrote earlier um I think a good one that I remember inputting was about we had I was talking about sorry the project and the idea of having electromagnetic tiles Um, and that was an idea that stemmed directly from something you learn in A-level physics which is electromagnetic induction having a coil of wire and a magnet and how that can produce electricity Um, so I was writing about having a fully sustainable system in my personal statement and I was able to link something that I've learned in everyday physics and I've thought about using that knowledge into my personal statement so I think that's often a good level to pitch at if it's something you're learning in school or a little bit beyond what you're learning in school you can often relate that to 
an engineering system that exists. Um, I remember in one of my drafts, I tried to add something from Wikipedia that I still don't know what it does or how it works to this day and got told to take it out very quickly because I was going way above what I needed. Um, but I think just pitch at the level you are and relate it to a real world or engineering example, and that's often good enough. That's good advice because you need to be able to talk about it in an interview if you're asked about it. And you don't have to understand everything, but I think the things you put into the statement, they should be beyond your A-level and they should have involved you doing more research. But ideally, they're things that you actually can understand to a reasonable extent. <laughs> so it's good that you took out the sort of really, really, really high level stuff. Researching, you know, you mentioned you don't like books all the time, which is fair enough, given that your course is more practical. When you went about trying to research those topics and get further sources or further bits of information to deepen your understanding, where did you turn to? Was it still YouTube or were there other places that were helpful? Um, I think it was just general searches on the internet. I was fortunate to have access to some university libraries when I was um, over that year. So I remember looking at a few books, but just for kind of the thing that I needed at the time. Um, but I think it was general, just a Google search and then using reputable sources that came up and then YouTube as well, probably if I didn't understand it after that. <laughs> yeah, and there are websites like The New Scientist, which will allow you to read a few articles for free online every week. And those can be good starting points if you're trying to do a bit of research into different topics. And there are, I'm sure, sort of engineering focused websites, which will have articles. And so, as I always say, Google is your friend. You want to, as has been mentioned, check that the source is reputable and that, you know, it's not a random website that hasn't got any scientific basis. But the internet can provide lots, especially for anyone worried because, you know, we're in a pandemic and everything's not as open as it was. You can still get quite a lot of information just by looking online. Is there anything else that you'd want to share in regards to the personal statement? Or shall we move on to the admissions assessment, which I know you're really keen to talk about? I think just another thing that I've noticed helping people with admissions over the last few years, and especially with general engineering personal statements, is that often people have so much to talk about. Um, you, I feel like you kind of go from having nothing to talk about to by the end of your personal statement, like millions of examples that you could have put in. Um, and you just need to remember that it's not a chance to just regurgitate every fact or physical um, fact or method that you've learned. Um, make sure you're explaining the engineering aspect, why you love engineering, and also make sure that it flows and it's coherent, not just the fact base of I know this about civil, but also this about electrical and also this about mechanical. Therefore, I should be at this uni. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for me. That's good advice. When I'm helping students with statements, sometimes we'll get into a bit of a, um, almost a disagreement because they want to keep everything in. And so instead of having some well-developed examples, they have like 10 different things in there, yeah. but they've only got a sentence each to which I have to say, this isn't doing any work. It's not showing that you understand it. It's not showing how you engaged with it. It's not showing how you developed your understanding. You've just name dropped 10 different yeah. things. 
And so we have to have a little bit of a fight and decide what's coming out. <laughs> I normally win. Um, and, you know, you have to kind of cut it down a bit, pare it back and focus in on the few examples that you can talk about in a bit more detail and really show an academic journey, as I always say. So maybe you first came across it in your A-level class. Maybe you went and learned more with a lecture or something that you saw online maybe you did some research, maybe it's practical and you've been able to do an experiment, you know, there will be a journey with it. And if you can write like that, that's sufficient. If you've only got a line, it normally means that it's not particularly interesting and it's best to cut it down. And just to add on with engineering personal statements, because it's practical, because it is, it can be a practical subject. Don't be afraid to literally make something or build something or I don't know if you love skateboarding, buy a skateboard and put it together and explain how what you're doing is going to make it move fast or whatever. Don't be afraid to have that practical element and talk about it in a personal statement um, because that also shows a love and interest for engineering. Yeah, those are some of my favourite engineering personal statements, ones where people have said, you know, I was doing this experiment, I built this. Somebody did something once on paper aeroplanes. They were talking about trying to figure out which ones would go further. And they did their own experiment on particular things that affected aerodynamics. That's as far as I'll go. I've not done physics (laughs) since I was 16, so I'll leave it to the experts. But as I was reading it, they'd gone into the detail of the theory of different things that would affect how far it was able to fly and how to make it more efficient. And they spoke about that experiment. And that was something small and something accessible. It wouldn't have been massively expensive, but they were able to apply all the theory and talk about the outcome and it, it, it was brilliant it really showed their passion and they've gone above and beyond their a-level syllabus and so they were talking about theories that were new to them yeah and it was really good so yeah i think i think that's brilliant advice about the practical element and then using what you what you can get your hands on around you all right shall we get onto this test or the admissions assessment that's um, it. because i know that you you think this is a really key point in the process for everybody to think about so what, what was it that you had to prepare for and sit for your Oxford application? So for Oxford, you need to sit the PAT, um, which is the physics aptitude test. Um, it's essentially maths and physics questions. They change the structure quite a lot, but they're mostly short-ish questions, some multiple choice questions around maths or physics problems, usually just beyond what you would have learned in school at that time. And how did you go about preparing for it? Because I know you think that this is something that people maybe don't spend as much time on as they should, and maybe should start thinking about it earlier than they do. How did you go about it and what are your top tips? So when I was preparing for it, I essentially, I got advice really early on, which was useful, which is essentially it's a problem solving paper. Um, You're going to get problems, you're not going to know what to do you're not going to know where to go so the best way to prepare that I was told and used is to get used to seeing something unfamiliar drawing in knowledge and answering the question so I essentially spent most of my time problem solving um, using some past papers from Pat using some maths papers some step papers um, anything maths or physicsy that you can find Um, And just practicing being able to solve these problems that are unfamiliar um, and different to what you'd be learning in school 
in a physics e maths e context. And we always recommend to target Oxford students interested in engineering that they, as well as doing research into their subject, spend quite a lot of time just regularly problem solving using different resources online to practice problem solving. Did you have any websites or any resources that you use to try and get your problem solving skills up to standard? Yeah, so I used a lot of um, this website called IWantToStudyEngineering.org, um, which has a whole load of questions. They sort it by topic but also gives you some written solutions to them if you get stuck. And I think the opportunity for hints if you want. Um, Isaac Physics is also really good at having some physics questions and they also give you hints to help you along the way if you get stuck and a solution, a near solution at the end if you really need it. Um, I think those were the main two apart from all the different admissions tests that I spent my time on. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It's completely important to be practicing problem solving along the way. But also because once you actually get to uni, it's these kind of problems you're going to be doing every day in your problem sheets. They might be a bit longer, but it's essentially going to be drawing information from lectures and tutorials and answering an unfamiliar problem on a paper. So if you start practicing this, not only would you get better for the test, but if you're really hating doing all of these problems, then that's also another indicator that maybe this course isn't the one that you want to do. That's a really good point. And I think with the problem solving, you can't really start it too early. These websites have loads and loads of material and there are, there are other websites out there as well. And so when people say to me that they're thinking about engineering, I always say just, just build problem solving into your week. So some people like to do it, you know, an evening a week where they'll do a bit of random problem solving or they'll do a short problem every day. Everybody's different in terms of how they want to build it in. But I just think that regular problem solving, if you can embed it into your daily life, if you're an aspiring engineer, then when you start practicing for these tests with the past papers, that way of thinking isn't new to you. You're comfortable with it because and let me know if you if you found this to be the case, but talking to students, I always get the sense that what you have to build is a bit of resilience to the fact that whenever you open the paper, your first thought is, I don't know what to do. And yeah. often when students first see the paper, they're like, I don't know what to do. And they shut it again. And sometimes they then say, well, I'm not applying or I can't do it. And what you have to do is build up your tolerance level for that period of uncertainty at the beginning where you open it have no idea what's going on but you're excited to try even under time conditions to figure it out yes yeah Completely. yeah and that's why I always tell students as well to do step papers because everyone's terrified of step papers um but that will give you the complete resilience to see a really really hard math problem and just spend time trying to work it out yeah and for anyone who's listening and doesn't know a step paper is the Cambridge mathematics admissions assessment and so it's quite a high level um, of, of, of maths it's, it's, it's quite challenging it's, it's deemed by some people to be one of the harder sort of tests you can take for a mathematics based subject and lots of people do use them to bolster their ability before taking other STEM focused tests so I think that's good advice. And yeah, it's just about getting that resilience because ultimately engineers who go out into the world are trying to solve some of our biggest and seemingly unsolvable problems, right? 
Yes. How are we going to get batteries big enough to hold all this renewable energy? I don't know. <laughs> um, the engineers <laughs> at the moment also don't fully know, but they're working hard at it. And in reality, that's what you need. People who are resilient and will keep trying, keep trying to figure it out. And that's one of the key things that the test is trying to do. You know, can you solve problems under pressure, even if they're quite tough? Are there any other things that you'd recommend for practicing or any questions or issues that came up for you when you were thinking about timing and when to start and how to use the past papers? Um, I think they, I don't know, I can't remember who told me, but someone said that if you do two past papers after that, your results won't improve. So you should only do about two. Um, I don't know if that's true or false, but what I did find is I liked to do as many past papers as humanly possible because even if my results are plateauing, I'm getting used to the time pressure. I'm getting used to how many, how much points of a question do I need to spend this much on time on, how they phrase the questions. Um, the syllabus from PAT, and I think the Cambridge Engineering syllabus is a lot more detailed, but the PAT syllabus can be quite vague. So by doing more past papers, you kind of get a better idea of what they actually want you to know um, and what they might want you to know. So I found that advice not very helpful. I think if you do more past papers, even if your results are improving, you're becoming more familiar with the paper, which ultimately on the day should make you feel less nervous. I fully agree. My advice is, you know, practice, practice, practice. It's unlikely to make you get any worse. Um, and yet you, at some point you will plateau, you know, you, you can't continuously get better and better and better, but you can get more familiar and more comfortable. And the reality is that part of what's going to be important is how you face it on the day. Yeah. Everyone will be nervous, you know, nerves are fine. Everyone has them. But if you're used to the structure, you're used to the time pressure, you're going to be better placed to manage those nerves on the day when it, when it really counts and familiarity from past papers will get you there. So I fully agree. Some tips that I give are, make sure you've checked through the specification, you know, early on in your prep time, so that if there's anything you've not covered or you know that you didn't really understand the first time you learned it, go back and, you know, brush up on those topics. And what I always say is, once you've done a past paper and you've marked it, that is not the end please go back over it, where you've missed marks, ask yourself, where did I miss marks? Is there a theme emerging here? Do I tend to get this type of question wrong quite often? If so, what can I do about that? Can I go and learn something or revise something to mean I'm better placed in the future? So do use the past papers a few times to sort of really get all the juice out of them that you can in terms of the types of questions that you know you need to strengthen up on. Yes. And for PAT, I know there's not official mark schemes, but there are quite a few websites that do unofficial mark schemes that are mostly correct and give you a good idea of how many marks you would have got if it was being marked. And I know some students who, if they're on good terms with their teachers, will go to their physics teacher sometimes and say, would you mind looking at this for me? How do you think I did here? Would you advise anything else? And so it's really important to have your teachers on site. You know, <laughs> be polite to them, deliver your homework to them one time, talk to 
talk to them nicely and as human beings because they'll be more inclined to help you with these sorts of things if you've built a good relationship with them and that's part of navigating this process as you move into you know adulthood and thinking about going to university your teachers are people you can form a relationship with that is you know respectful and hopefully beneficial even when you ask for these extra bits of help so start building those good relationships from quite early and you'll be able to get some extra help hopefully so the final part of the process and i always stress that it's not the most important part because oxbridge look at all of the parts of the process but the interview is a bit you do at the end and people worry a bit about it because often you've not done an interview before and you don't know what to expect so would you mind sharing what your interview was like and how you prepared for it Diane? so my interview was i had two interviews both about half an hour long and my first interview was just very short questions on different areas of maths and physics and i guess going beyond just beyond what i've already learned um and then my second interview was the same thing but i had longer answer questions so i think we only got through two but the questions were a lot more detailed and a bit more, they were all a bit unfamiliar, but these were a bit more niche. Um, what I found with interviews, that it wasn't too far from the kind of problem solving that by then you'd already hopefully be used to doing. Um, obviously, it's completely unfamiliar questions because the tutors are quite good at finding things that you wouldn't have found on the internet before. But it's essentially a new context, applying knowledge that you know, or in some cases I had never learned the topic. So they literally taught me the topic on the spot and I guess assessed how well I understood what I was learning. Um, but it's about applying your knowledge and what you think you should do in new contexts. And I always say, cause my, I came out of my interviews thinking I did terribly. I got, there was one maths question where I was meant to find out what N equals. So to solve like the algebra and I got that 10 equals zero, um, which is impossible. But that ended up being my best interview because I guess they really look for how you go about solving the problems and what routes you take and what ideas you have, as opposed to how correct your numbers are on the day, because they understand that you're nervous. Um, so, yeah, I'd say the problem solving aspect, but in front of people. So in terms of preparing for it. It was actually quite similar to the PAT, except I focused on doing it with someone else. Um, so if you have a friend or someone else in your school applying and you both think you're going to get an interview, I would suggest revising together because it is the same problem solving, but you want to be able to verbalise your thoughts as they come to you. So not once you've already figured it all out in your head, you want to be able to get used to seeing something, thinking, and then the point at which you start to find a route verbalizing it out loud um, so as much practice with that as possible is how I prepared for the interview. Thank you your memory is very good in terms of being able to remember all of those <laughs> elements I think that advice about practicing with somebody else is key because what I find is when students get to this point they're sometimes quite used to working hard on their problem solving by themselves in silence and so when they're asked a question in an interview, their natural habit is to almost scurry away, work it all out and then present the answer. 
which is actually the least interesting part to the tutor. Yeah. Right or wrong, the answer is sort of not the point. The point is how you solve it, the process, your reasoning, why you did the things that you did. And so you have to verbalise that process the whole way through. And even if you're not sure about things, you can verbalise why you're not sure. Yes. But you want to be able to say why you're taking a particular approach, why you're using a particular formula. And also that means they can help you. Because if you've gone down a, partic- a particular path, it might make perfect sense for you to do that, but it might not be right in that particular scenario. So they can say, oh, I completely understand why you think that. But actually for today, maybe we should think about it from this angle and they can then guide you in the right direction. And they'll have learned about you and how you think from your other route. But if you don't say it, they can't help. And so I think your tip there about working with somebody is, is really, really good. I think in the interview, sometimes it's almost as powerful to go down a wrong route, but understand where you've gone wrong and why it's wrong and why this method wouldn't work because of some, I don't know, tendrils like energy, some energy conservation law, um, shows as much understanding as if you just stayed silent, said nothing in the first place. So I definitely encourage just getting used to speaking and explaining and thinking things through, but out loud yeah yeah out loud and also that being able to say oh no I think I've gone down a wrong route here I've just realized that this won't work for this reason and that that reason some people think that being wrong is bad and therefore even though they can tell it's going wrong or it's not working they'll keep pushing down that route because they think to change your mind is to show weakness it's actually the complete opposite what they want to see is that if you get new information that alerts you to the fact that your current approach isn't the most appropriate they want to see that you can make the change this is not about being stubborn it's not about being like strong and wrong it's about saying ah now that you've told me that I can realize that this isn't the best approach for these reasons so instead I'm going to try this approach instead that's what they really want to see and another thing I'd suggest is at the end of the day the tutor's want to figure out if they want to teach you and if you're a teachable student who would thrive in an Oxbridge environment which is quite small group closed um, session teaching so something that I found quite useful was if you're practicing with a friend maybe once a few times get a question that you completely know the answer to you've worked out you know the, the full route but they don't and then you can practice a mock interview where you're kind of guiding them through or they're guiding you through so you can just get used to someone prompting you or giving you kind of tips along the way and then you having to follow that Um, because what you find is a lot of people aren't used to someone saying maybe try this and then when the tutor says it they don't want to go down the new route that the tutor's hinting at they're just going to bulldoze down what they think in their head because they're not used to someone interrupting them mid thought So if you can get a few of those sessions in, that's also quite useful. Yeah, that's really good advice. They want somebody who is open to being taught in that particular way, which means when they make a suggestion, listen to it, take it on board and respond. That's what they want to see. Okay, so we've come to the end of all the different topics. Are there any really other big things or topics or tips that you were hoping to talk about but we haven't covered? no not that I can think of 
great well we've been very thorough then which is good <laughs> I would expect nothing less from an engineer <laughs> okay well I usually end by asking all of my guests to give the, the tip or the main tip that they wish they had when they were 16 before starting on this process so is there anything that you'd like to recommend to your 16 year old self before starting applying for your engineering degree don't be afraid to get involved early I think there was a lot of things that I ended up doing but at the start I didn't want to apply to the project because I didn't have any current engineering knowledge so I was like I'm not smart enough to do that or go to something because I like I don't know anything you're not taught engineering at school it's usually out of school some people might have grown up and said they built a computer when they were eight years old some people would have no engineering knowledge just don't be afraid to get involved no matter what level you're starting at very very wise words well thank you so much for joining today sharing all of your experiences and your top tips and i'm sure people will have found it really helpful thanks for having me Thank you for listening and thank you to our friends at Rare, Clifford Chance, Linklaters, McKinsey and Jane Street for making this podcast possible. We hope that you'll share this episode with friends and family who might find it useful and don't forget to rate and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at at Target Oxbridge. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time.